salvation. Uh, well, how I know I'm saved, how I have salvation. And this week we're going to get off salvation a little bit. We're going to talk about the Bible. The Bible. Let's start with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just pray you bless this time that we have together. Thank you for those that uh, enjoy being in your word. I pray that there would be some involvement here, Lord, that we'd be able to be comfortable with what you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so study number two, and uh, Chloe's doing a good job here. She's trying to learn how to write on a board, uh, so she's, she's getting it slowly but surely. Uh, we're going to talk about what is the Bible. It says, what is the authority in your life? Uh, if you have your, your uh, books out here. What is the authority in your life? Those who believe something have, must have a, a reason for their belief. Just as there are standards in the business world, in government and in education, the Christian needs an absolute standard for his beliefs, his study, his duties, indeed, his whole conduct. So basically, he's starting out by saying, listen, there is nothing else in a Christian's life that they should be uh, catering to in, as far as guidelines, okay? Um, you, go, you go to work, uh, we were just talking, uh, we had just a second ago, we were talking about the idea that uh, at work there has to be certain guidelines, and uh, what, it, what, what do you guys go to if there's a dis disagreement? You go to HR, right? What does HR do? HR goes to, well, they should be doing something anyway. HR goes to uh, the handbook, right? It says this is what the handbook says. You need to follow this. They have to go by certain guidelines. Same thing with the government, or they should anyway. The Constitution is the government's guidelines. They go to the Constitution. The Constitution tells them what laws they should keep. Supreme Court should train or should um, uh, what do you call it? Not translate. Um, they should interpret. Thank you. Whoever said that? Thank you. Uh, interpret what the law says from the Constitution. And so saying that means that we are, as Christians, we are taking the Bible as our constitution. Don't forget that if we go anywhere else, if we're going to Dr. Wigglejaw, I say that in the most uh, insincere way, or uh, back in the 60s and 70s, they had Dr. Spock or uh, uh, Ann Landers, you know, these people that basically taught uh, social uh, ills and social uh, norms, and this is not the way it should be. Christians should always have the absolute standard as the Word of God. It says, many people have their authority in the inner conscience. Let your conscience be your guide, they say. That sounds good, but according to Titus chapter 1, verse 15, the conscience may be, and let's turn there, Titus chapter 1 and verse 15. Chloe, well, why don't you read that for us? Unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But everything, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Okay. So, what does it say? Even their mind and their conscience are what? Defiled. Defiled. You have to be, you can't say that your conscience is always going to lead you the right way. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitfully wicked who can know it. That's why you must go back to the Word of God. That's why you must know what God's Word says. So, uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Sister Lene, would you read that for us? Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Okay. 
So what happened to their conscience? Sear. What does it mean to sear something? Um, okay. Yes, actually it's a very good way to put it. Um, seared is, if you've ever seen a grill, sometimes they have the searing side, which is always going to be hotter. It's always going to make your beef or your pork or whatever you're grilling is going to kind of give it that brown look that comes from grilling, right? That's searing. And the important part, part of that is it says your conscience is seared, meaning that basically there's no lifeblood, there's no anything coming out, there's nothing living in there. It's literally burnt, okay? Uh, it's become hardened. When I was a kid, I had uh, gotten burnt by hot meatballs from a, um, oh, from a crock pot. I was, uh, we went to a roller skating rink, and I was about Carlos's age. Oh, no, Carlos is what, six? Seven. Seven. Um, I was probably more closer to Carmen's age. Um, and I remember I was walking around the table, and uh, suddenly there's a, there was a cord in between the table and the, the, uh, um, the wall. And I tripped over that, that thing, and it all fell on the back end of me, my back, my uh, rear end. And basically, I had burns, second and third degree burns, up and down my uh, backside. And it was, they had to literally come in and they had to cut away the dead flesh because it was so bad. Uh, I probably went to the hospital, I don't know, probably another 10, 15 times after that um, because it was such a bad burn. And the idea there as a Christian, we got to be careful because when we look to the Lord, He's the one that softens us. But if you have your conscience seared, you're not going to understand it. You say, how does a Christian go from being someone that loves God, serves God, wants to do God's will, and then turns around and, and does something awful, like divorce his wife, or divorce her husband, uh, or, or, or uh, do something like steal, or cheat, or lie? It's because their conscience is seared. They're not being uh, made alive again by the Word of God. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. Chloe, uh, let's see here. You didn't put these in here. Okay, so we'll, we'll get to these eventually. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. So not only is your conscience seared, but verse 7 says, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered in vile, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Conscience being weak, alright? So what is it? What's that four-letter word? It's weak. Your conscience is not something you can trust, right? Uh, I think you have to be aligned up with the Word of God. All right, it says other people, especially religious folk, have the church or man-made creeds as their authority. Again, such standards are unreliable because man is involved. All right, let's take a second and talk about these um, uh, man-made creeds. Can anybody give me a man-made creed? Okay, that's a very good example. Pray the rosary, yes. Confession to the priest. I was just talking about this the other day, Mike. Barber is a Catholic, and, and he told me that he doesn't agree with this idea that we have to confess our sins to a priest. And I said, you're absolutely right. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 
who gave himself a ransom to all to be testified in due time. It doesn't mean that we can't share our faults, as the Bible tells us to do, one with another. But it doesn't mean, in order to be sanctified and forgiven, it doesn't mean I have to go through someone to be able to do that. I go through God. God is Jesus Christ. He is the one that takes care of it. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. And Brooklyn, why don't you read that for us? Mm-hmm. Beware, lest any man spoil, spoil you through philosophy mm-hmm. and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Okay, so he deals with something very important. He warns against what? Philosophies. Thank you. The same thing. Traditions, philosophies. If someone comes in here and says, Andrea, you must have your hair at least 10 inches long. I don't know how long women's hair is, but let's just say 10 inches. Okay? And you say, well, P- Pastor, how do you, why are you telling me that? Because I believe that's the way we should do things. No, there's always what? The Bible that teaches us. Now, the Bible does tell that a woman's hair should be what? Long. Okay? But it doesn't mean that I have a right to tell you how long it needs to be. Right? It just needs to be long. What do we classify as long? You know? Uh, Example, a man's hair should be short. Now, some people say, Oh, brother, you need to make sure that the hair is not touching the ears. Okay? No, the Bible just says that a man's hair should not be long. Right? It should be something that's short. Now, short could be it goes here. Maybe it's a little bit over the ears, but it doesn't look like a woman's hair haircut. Okay? There should be the difference. The traditions there, though, is an important thing. Philosophy, actually, you're right. The second one is and traditions. All right, and then we got one last verse, Matthew chapter 15, verses 3, 6 through 9. Again, remember, this is all about why you have your Bible. If you don't have your Bible... It doesn't matter uh, what I say. It all matters what the Word of God says. And if you don't trust the Word of God, then you're in the wrong church. Okay? Because we're going to teach that the Word of God is our ultimate authority. Not what the Pope says. Not what some pastor Wigglejaw says. But what God's Word says. So we find Matthew chapter 15 verse 3 says... And But ye answered unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your traditions? And verse 6 says, And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Verse 9. And then it says, But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Okay? There comes a point where you have to make that understanding clear in your mind that it is not a commandment of men that I follow, but instead I am following the commandments of God. Here the, the, here the Pharisees were taking their tradition and they were applying it to the Word of God. They were saying, look, as long as I give my parents a gift, then I am free from honoring them. That's not what the Bible says. It's interesting that even though your parents might not be exactly right with God, and your parents not, might not have all their uh, 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 T's crossed and your I's dotted, 
there should be an understanding that you still must honor them because the Bible tells you to. Just because they are not right, maybe they've done some awful things to you as a, as a young person, you still have responsibility to honor them. And that means the rest of your life. The Bible says that's the first commandment with promise. And that's important to understand. This study will teach you what the Bible is and why you can take it as authority and how to use it as the Word of God. So we have the first one here. What is the Bible? Letter A. This is a collection of how many books? Anybody know? 66. Good job. Everybody got that. Divided into two major sections known as the Old and New what? Testament. Testaments. Good job. You guys know this. All right. So we know that the 66 books, Old and New Testament. All right. Names given to the Bible are, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. All right, Callie, you ready to read this? Go ahead, we'll help you out, okay? Here, I'll help her. Romans chapter 10, you're in Revelation. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. All right, can you read this for me? Go ahead and read verse 17. No, so then. So then, for... Faith cometh, right, by learning and hearing by the Word of God. Good job. All right. So, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So what's another name for the Bible? The Word of God. That's correct. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. says here in verse 15, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So what is the second thing that we find here that the Bible is called? Holy scriptures. scriptures. Alright, I need to put these up here. Word of God 66 Testaments There's two different types of names for the Word of God. And then it says in letter C, the books of the Bible are not arranged in uh, not are not arranged strict chronological order, but also topical. Both the Testaments have their books arranged in groups, as shown on the next page. Uh, sometimes people have a difficulty with this, especially with new Christians, and the fact that, hey, well, this is the Bible is uh, chronologically uh, made. It's not. Um, actually, Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Alright, it's actually before the time of Abraham. Uh, it's a very interesting perspective. But here are some things that we can find here. Um, 
in the Old Testament, and there's five, uh, four different types of uh, books of the Bible in the Old Testament. Uh, and the first one is law. Also, they call this the Pentateuch. This is Genesis through Deuteronomy. Genesis through Deuteronomy. This is the book was written by Moses. And then you find history. These are historical in nature. Those are Joshua through Esther. And we are actually going through Joshua right now for our morning services. And then wisdom. Wisdom. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. You say, why are, why are they considered wisdom? Well, if you read any of the books of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, a lot of them has to do with wisdom. And actually, I've heard it even go a step further, and they like to say not just wisdom, they call these books the books of poetry as well. These are all, uh, some of these, especially Psalms, were written to song for the Hebrews. Uh, it's not the same type of song that we consider. Uh, now, we always have the rhyme, right? Well, they didn't have that. It was a different type of song. But that's wisdom. And then lastly is prophecy, the major and the minor. So what is the major? That's Isaiah through Daniel. Now, it's not saying it's more important than the minor. It's just saying they're bigger books, okay? Uh, Isaiah through Daniel. And then you have Hosea through Malachi, which would be your minor. And it says, from the close of the Old Testament, Malachi, to the birth of Christ, there was over 400 years that transpired. These years are called the silent years. The silent years. And that is basically the reason they call it the silent years. Is because God did not speak to anyone, well, audibly, uh, through his word. Uh, I'm sorry, not through his word, but did not give any word, per se, to be written down. There was no word written. Uh, and we find that in these 400 years. So the first book after the silent years was the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now we will get into more about the Gospels soon enough, uh, but the Gospels all have different accounts. You say, why do they have different accounts? Because each book is meant to show Jesus Christ as a different person. Either number one, he's the Son of God. Number two, he's the Son of Man. Number three, he's the king. And number four, he's a servant. Those are the four things that have to prove each book, and we'll get to that eventually. And then you have history, and history is where we draw a lot of our understanding of what the New Testament church should be, and that is found through Acts. And then you find the epistles. There's two types of epistles. There's number one, the Pauline epistles. The Pauline epistles. All Pauline epistles means is they were written by Paul. Romans uh, and there is some debate, maybe Hebrews was a Paul-written Paul epistle, but Romans through Philemon. And then the general epistles, which would be Hebrew through Jude. And that would include 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and that would include 1st and 2nd Peter, and uh, that would include Revelate, or not Revelation, but Jude. And then the last one would be prophecy, which was Revelation. Alright, so you have an understanding now of how we divide up these different books and why that's important. So then the next one we get is, how did we receive the Bible? How did we receive the Bible? Well, it says here, the Bible is not just a book. It Carmen. is the book. The book different from any other book that has or will be written. The Bible is a supernatural book because of the way in which God gave it to mankind. There is no other book that was literally... Um, 
uh, inspired by the word of, by God Himself. So turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. And we find here in verse 21. Who by him, I'm sorry, are you there, Brooklyn? Um, 2 Peter 1.21. I'm sorry, you're right. I put 1 Peter. Get this right. 2 Peter 1, verse 21. All right. In verse 21 it says, Knowing this first, uh, let's start back in verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy in the Scripture is any private interpretation. It says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What do we find here? <clears throat> we find that the way that it was given was not through a uh, man or the will of man, but by what? By the Holy Ghost. Okay? The Holy Ghost inspired them. Yes? Who is the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost is part of God. There's three types of parts of God. It's called the Trinity. You have the Holy Spirit. You have Jesus Christ the Son, and you have God the Father. Okay? They're three in one. I will get into the Trinity. It's a little bit deep for you right now, buddy. But it basically, uh, the way you can explain it is like an egg. Okay? The egg has three different parts. Can you tell me the different parts of an egg? If you cracked an egg open, what would you have? Um, you would have the yolk part. Which is the yolk, right? Yeah. And then you have what else? The the shell, and what else? What's outside the yellow part? The little white part, right? Yeah. And that is the three parts, okay? You have the shell, the yolk, but it's all what? One egg, okay? Another way to illustrate it is like water. There's different states of forms of water. Water can be ice, water can be steam, and water can be water, all right? There's three in one. It can be snow, right? Uh, yep, absolutely, absolutely. So if you can, write in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. The verse of Scripture teaches us three vital facts concerning how we got the Bible. So first of all, we find in this verse that it wasn't made up by men. It came not by the will of man. I've already mentioned that. Men of God wrote the Bible. Holy men of God spake. So basically, they were written, writing it down as God spoke to them. They spoke or wrote down as well. And then thirdly, God authored the Bible, as I already mentioned, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They were inspired by the Holy Ghost to write it down. Uh, are these words, I almost wonder sometimes as you're reading some of these situations, how did God work in this situation? Especially like Moses, sometimes they would say uh, things against the people that were writing it. I mean, Moses, he said that Moses was disobedient. How do you think Moses felt as he was writing about himself? You know, God says, I'm disobedient. Oh, man, well, I failed here, you know. Uh, and some of those things I think is kind of interesting. Uh, but we find here God used, was inspired these men to write his word. Letter B, God used human writers to pen his words. It's a very interesting here. Uh, did we already get to pass that up? No, we haven't. It's very interesting here. How many men wrote the, helped wrote, write the Bible? Anybody know? You'll see it in your notes if you look. A ton? I don't know about a ton. 40, 40. 40 different men. Now you think about this for a second. 40 different men from all walks of life. Can you name some, some occupations of the men that wrote the Bible? Um, 
Yes. Doctor. A doctor. Tent maker. A, who was the tent maker? Paul. Okay. Anybody else? Fisherman. Yes. A fisherman. Anybody else? <coughs> you got Amos. He was a shepherd, right? Um, you can go down the list. These men were not all educated like we would consider educated today. They didn't go to a formal schooling. A lot of them wrote it down. And so you find here that these men were from different walks of life, and they were able to accomplish, accomplish over a period of 1,600 years incredible unity in their teaching. Now that would have to be the Word of God. That would have to be God behind that. Uh, have you ever played Chinese telephone? You know, I never thought about this, but I guess now this is racially insensitive. And I have to be careful how I say that. But the, the idea there is, you're right, you would say it into one person's ear, and then it would go down the line. Eventually, it would come to the last person, and the last person would tell you exactly something completely different than what the first person said. Now, think about this for a second. 1,600 years worth of time, men get together, 40 men of different walks of life, and they have the same unity, the same purpose. And how does that happen? That happens only by a living true God that gives us his Bible. Number two, most of the United, our Old, Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. We'll get to this eventually. A lot of people like to get carried away with the translations. Um, but the reason why it was written in Greek was for what, what purpose? Well, Greek well, at that time was the no language of the world. Okay? It's kind of like English is today. Uh, you want to have the business language of the world? Uh, well, at that time, it was Greek. Uh, the Greeks uh, told people when they took over, they taught people the Hellenistic lifestyle. They also taught the whole world. When, they, when uh, Alexander the Great came through, he taught the whole world Greek. And so when they did that, basically, everybody knew Greek. Just like today, a lot of people know English. Why? Because it's the business language. If you want to do business in today's world, you must know English in the same way with Greek. And so it worked really well. The Romans had centered around the Bible, had centered, uh, made roads so that we had fast-moving roads. There was a lot of ability for people to spread the gospel far and near. And also we had a very universal language, which was Greek. And that's why it was written uh, in Greek at that time. All right, so letter C, God authored the Bible. A good way to illustrate the miracle is, is to consider how you would write things down on paper. First, it is pen that actually does the writing, but it only writes as you move it. Second, the characteristics of the script will depend on the kind of pen or writing instrument you use. Write your name down on paper using a fine ballpoint pen, a felt marking pen, and a paintbrush. In each case, you will read the same words, but they'll have different appearance. All right, so number one... The Holy Spirit moved the human writers of the Bible in such a way that they recorded the very words and the sense of God, though couched in their own literary, literary style. And it says here, number two, the way in which God gave us the Bible is called what? Anybody want to give me that? Inspiration. inspiration. What does inspiration mean? Well, it literally means God breathed. Because the Bible is the inspired word of God, we can take it as the authority for all we believe and do. And I love this point, is because just because you write it down, as he was saying, <clears throat> how many ever tried to write something with, oh, you know what, I do. Here we go. 
So I have two different markers here. Let me get this one out. This one is a very, oh, I don't know, someone did something to that one. Uh, let's see if I got another one here that's got a broader chisel. Oh, I no. saw one up there. There was one. I don't know if we still have it. Let's see here. Nope. Uh, nope. Uh, maybe it's the pink one. All right. Here's the pink one. Here we go. This pink one has a very, very fine tip. I can put silent gears, and it's a little bit skinnier. Right? And that's what he's trying to illustrate here in this, this part. He's saying, look, it might be the same thing that I've written, but it's in a different format, isn't it? It looks, it is the same thing that's written, but it's different literary style. You guys know about literary style. You, you had to go through English, right? And that was one of the things you had learned about is writing styles, right? And it's the same way with the Word of God. Even though it's written by different men, and you can see how Paul wrote different things, um, he would always start with the uh, address him with a, uh, a salutation. He would always at the end talk about people he loved and thanked. There was always a evidence of Paul's writings, but they were also written by, the, by God himself. Even though Paul used his own literary way of writing, God used what he should write. So we have two things. Beware of men who say the Bible becomes the word of God when it speaks to you personally. All right, so we're going to look up some passages. So what does that mean? What do you think that means, Andrea? So we're trying to say that it's not actually what he said because you give the excuse that it was written in a different language. Okay, so it'd be like this. Um, I'm reading the Word of God and I get a different understanding than you get. Okay? Um, here's a perfect example. Um, the Bible tells that that uh, we should train up the way you go, we will not depart from it. I've had people tell me, well, that means you give them the taste and they won't lose the taste in their mouth. Okay? No, the Bible tells us specifically that we have a promise. We train them up the way you should go, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Don't say that just because you read it, it's going to be different. God will speak to you, maybe in a different way. It might have a different action when he speaks to you about it. You might have to do something differently than I would, but it's still the same truth. It's always going to be the same truth. So turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35. Matthew 24. Brooklyn, please turn there and read that for me. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35. says, in verse 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Alright, go ahead and read that for me, Brooklyn. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I'm sorry, Daddy read that before I even gave you a chance to read it, didn't I? I apologize. Well, you can read the next one, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13. Not the, just the thoughts and ideas, but the very words that is written down. It's important to understand. 
Secondly, beware of men who say the Bible contains the Word of God. What does that mean? Contains the Word of God. Right, right, exactly. Uh, the Bible, that, that, uh, that Pepsi over there contains caffeine. Does it mean that the entire bottle is full of caffeine? No, it just says a portion of it is caffeine. In the same sense, the Word of God doesn't just contain the Word of God, but it is the Word of God. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. devil knows that if he can get you to doubt the Word of God, he can get you to doubt your faith. If he can get you to doubt what God says, then he can get you to look at Eve. He came to Eve and says, did, he really, did God really say that? That if you eat of it, you will surely die? Right? He made Eve doubt it. Here we find in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 16, read that for me. Andrea, why don't you read that for us? All right, so what is the three-letter word, word that is important in that verse? All. 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 Scripture. Not some, but all. All right. Letter B, because the Bible is the inspired of God, it is... Turn your Bibles to Psalms 119, 160. Psalms 119 and verse 160. Interesting thing about Psalms 119, every verse has something to do with the Word of God. Lene, or Carlos, why don't you read that for us? Inspired the Word of God, it is what? Four letter word? True. True. From the beginning to the end. Okay? That's why we can say it doesn't contain the Word of God, it is the Word of God. Alright. And we're going to have to kind of, I don't know if I'll be able to tell you like that. Alright, we got about. A few more minutes. I'll try to get through this page 16, and then we'll start up next week on page, uh, or why do we need the Bible? All right. Do we have the Bible today? All right. Do we have the Bible today? So, somebody tell me, how does how was the Bible started? Who wrote the original manuscripts? God did, but who helped, and who, who, who did God inspire? God. Men, disciples, right? Uh, Moses, some of the early patriarchs. So, what between this period and now has happened to those original manuscripts? Second law of thermodynamics. They, they, unless it's treated and preserved, what happens? They fall apart, right? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you have a Bible, you've probably had multiple ones, right? What happens when you use your Bible enough? I remember when I was a kid. Yeah, there we go. There we go. 
When I was a kid, my mom and dad took us into the bookstore, and my sister and my brother got a brand new Bible. And I was bragging on myself and just thought I was something. And this was, well, I take very good care of my Bible. And the lady at the bookstore looked at me, and she says, it just means you don't use it enough. Mm -hmm. And I, oh, I felt so embarrassed, you know, as a young person, because she really called out my pride. But this idea here is that as a Christian, uh, we know that the original manuscripts were written many, many years ago, and that there's been copy after copy after copy. Now, you guys would probably say, Pastor, uh, I know what happens to copy after copy after copy. What happens when you use a, uh, I'm going to use an old word, facsimile machine, or a, fa a copier machine, and you use the original, and then you use the next original, or a copy of that original, and then you use it, eventually, the lines are not as dark, right? It doesn't look the same. And so do we have the Bible today? So turn your Bibles to Psalms chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. Psalms chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. Say, Pastor, uh, you're not giving me a lot of faith in the Word of God that I have before me. Well, we're going we're gonna to change that. Verse 6. It says here, and go ahead and read that for me, uh, Andrea. Read verse 6 and 7. Alright, so here's David talking here, and what does he say? He says, the words of God are what kind of words? Pure words. And then the next verse is what I want you to pay attention to. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. People say, Pastor, why do you use that old King James Bible? Oh, I know that there's been some revisions of that. And I know that 1611 wasn't the, uh, it was the first one, but there was many mistakes after that. The Bible says that it has to be purified. It has to be worked, looked through. It has to be worked through. I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of the modern versions today that don't support a purified version of the Word of God. They use uh, bad manuscripts, or they use faulty ways to transcript uh, transcribe what the Bible says. And so what I'm saying here is, is you can trust that the Word of God is the Word of God. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35. I love this verse. I love this verse. If you're struggling with the validity of the Scriptures... I want you to read this verse. It says here, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my what? Word shall not pass away. That's a promise of God. Just like your salvation, that's a promise of God. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the same promise. God cannot lie. And this is, if you know in your own Bible, this is Jesus speaking. It's words written in red. It says, Heaven and earth shall not pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Not only did God give us His Word, but He promised to what? Preserve it. Preserve it. How many's ever had jam preserves? Maybe I'm the only person? Delicious. They are delicious. Thank you. My mom used to make preserves when we were kids. We would go out to strawberry picking and she would, take, she would make strawberry preserves. What happens when you open the preserve jar? Do you find, they're sealed correctly, do you find 
uh, oranges? Do you find bananas? No, you find what kind of fruit if it's strawberries? Strawberries, right? It's the same thing that you put in the jar all those years ago. They're not corrupted because why? They're preserved. And listen to me, the word of God is preserved forever. It's written down in heaven. God will not allow his word to return void. And secondly, he will not allow his word to become destroyed. So how does God preserve his word? All right, let's look at some of these things. And I think we're at the very end. So my uh, Vanna White, come on up here. Hurry, I don't got a lot of time. You don't know who Vanna White is, I'm sorry. That was the lady that was on. Now sit down, Chloe's on me. Go ahead and race that all for me. Down through the centuries it says here, number one, the Lord has raised up men with a love for his word to keep it from harm. It says here, zealous Jewish patriots and simple Bible-loving Christians in particular, our Baptist forefathers, have kept the scriptures available to all generations. There's a book out that was written about uh, in the 1930s called The Trail of Blood, or The Trail of Tears. And basically, maybe I'm getting this too confused. I think it's The Trail of Blood. But basically, it gives a long list of people who kept the word of God. The Donatists, the Albigensians, uh, 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 the Waltons. That's right. But they all kept the word of God. There were times when they were literally killed in the mountains. They had to flee during the, middle, during the uh, Dark Ages because they were being killed for keeping the word of God. Men like Tyndale, who was, who was, uh, uh, was killed and martyred for his translation. Why? Because he was faithful to keeping the word of God. It's been able to keep these scriptures available to all generations. He has, Satan has done on numerous occasions, attempted to remove the Bible from the face of the earth. Hellish decrees have seen the Bible banned, burned, banished, and battered by scornful men. You look through the dark ages and you read some of the things that they would do to men that didn't, that used the word of God and you would be horrified and you would love your Bible even more because you realize it came at a price. It's important to understand what your Bible is. Number two, it says the Hebrew text, the Old Testament, was faithfully preserved by the uh, fastidious Jewish scribes. It is called the Masoretic text. I'm going to write these down because these are super important. The Masoretic. All right. The Masoretic text. And it's important to understand that because uh, a lot of the different texts that the modern versions use don't use these texts. The Greek text of the New Testament has been faithfully preserved in what is called the Textus Receptus. If you go to most modern translations, you will find that it's not the Textus Receptus they come from. They don't use that. They use the Alexandrian. The Alexandrian was found in a, a Vatican trash can. And the reason it was found in the Vatican trash, trash can, not this one, the Alexandrian, was because it was trash. Okay? The reason why the Texas Receptus, now I'm, I'm not going to get into this, but the reason why the Texas Receptus is important to understand is because most modern translations don't use this at all. 
And this is what your King James Bible uses. Over 5,000 ancient man manuscripts of the New Testament, along with some 2,000 uh, lectionaries, selected readings, still exist today, and the vast majority of them attesting to receive the text. Okay? So, and I'm going to get into this, and eventually, I don't want to, it's hard not to. Uh, so there's two types of different texts. There's the minority. And then there's the second one, which is the majority. So what does it mean by majority and minority? Well, the minority, there are literally about 10 copies. As you can see here, the majority, there's 5,000. Okay? 5,000 copies. Most modern translations use the minority text. And the reason they do is because they say it's older. Okay? Uh, the older is better. Majority, though, is the majority for a reason. Even though it's younger or, as we say, uh, not, uh, not, not as old, it still uses what we consider the right version. Why do we say that? How do you explain that, Pastor? Don't you want to use the older text to be able to know what you're talking, that it's closer to the time of the apostles? No. And you're shaking your head. Why, why do you think that? Okay. Here's my explanation for this. Okay. When you have something that's written over and over and over again and it agrees together, there's 5,000 copies and then there's 10 of the other one. Why do you think there's so many of these and so few of these? Yes, they're older, but why do you think there's so many of these and so few of these? No. These were trash. They were found in places that they would be like a burn barrel or a place that they were done with. They were a lot of mistakes that were made in here. The reason there are 5,000 copies of these because they were used over and over again and they kept copying them because they were the right Bibles. Okay? When they came in, they say, well, one scribe would write down and he would transcribe. They were very meticulous. You're right. They were very meticulous what they did. But if you only have 10 people reading the Bible, then you're in trouble. There's 5,000 of these. What happens when you use your Bible long enough, as we already talked about? Eventually, it wears out, right? What do you do? You get a new one, right? And the scribes, they would get old copies and they would throw those away if they were not exactly uh, the same and they would write a new one and so you'd have a lot more of these copies. The older ones were not good because why? They were found in trash cans. They were found in places that were not commonly used and the reason they were preserved is because nobody wanted to pick them out of the trash can. Okay, now I'm very I'm simplifying. It's more to than just that. But that is the reason why the majority text is important. Because it, ver it verifies that it was written down and that this was popular because it was the right one. Whereas these minority texts, they were not popular because they were not right and written correctly. They found mistakes in them and so they threw them away. And because of that, people found them and they said, oh, this has got to be the right one because it's older. Older is not always better. All right. I didn't want to go into that, but I think it's good to understand that. 
All right, so we go to letter C, and I'm, oh, wow, gee whiz. It's 1102. Um, lastly, we'll go through letter C, and I, I'm out of time, but let's just get this so I can get through here real quickly. Do we need to understand Hebrew and Greek to know the Bible? Um, no. I don't think, don't get me wrong, it helps you in your study, but I don't think you need to know it. Um, you can learn it. I've learned some Greek. I've taken some Greek classes, but it's not necessary. When you hold a copy of your King James Bible in your hand, you can guarantee it is the Word of God. Okay? Don't let anybody tell you you don't have anything differently. And like I said, beware of the other revisions. All of them have used these corrupt minority manuscripts. If you don't already possess a King James Bible, let me encourage you, find one or I'll get you one. Uh, make sure the right to use the right kind of King James Bible. All right, let's close the word for our Heavenly Father. Thank you for this time that we had together. I pray that you just bless the service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.